0: Mind Gym podcast. Hey Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So what a lovely office you have here. Thank you very much. It's, it's cool, brilliant. isn't it? As soon as I seen the pool table, I knew I was in a good place.
1: <laughs> Tell me about it. The pool table was cool, and then when we put the ping pong table on top of it, it was even better. It's legit, yeah, it's legit.
0: Absolutely. So Spencer, I guess. You know before we, we get cracking and jumping in, and mm-hmm. um, I ask you to kind of summarize and give me your log line of, of who you are and what you do. Yeah, okay. Can you remember what you said?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, insatiably trying to understand the universe and everything in it, including myself, carving the undulations of life on a perpetual mission to understand and realize one's potential. Okay, I love that. <laughs> um, okay, and we'll pick up on that in okay, just a sec. Cool. So
0: what I want you to do, Spencer, is before we jump in is I want you to pick four numbers from a from one to a hundred.
1: Four numbers, okay. Ten? Yeah. Nineteen. Nineteen? Eighty-five. Eighty-five
0: and a hundred. And a hundred. So it's ten, nineteen, eighty-five, and a hundred. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to them later okay, on. Cool. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so question. Yeah. When you were a child, yep. and the teacher would ask you, you know, what is it you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. What is it you would say?
1: So there was two main things that I wanted to be when I grew up. And one of them was a scientist. um, But I'd probably say the main one was a fighter pilot. Okay.
0: Um, Why?
1: Um, Because I've always been inspired and fascinated and um, completely in awe of anything that flies. And I used to go to air shows with my father. And so even from when I was probably three, four, five years old, um, looking up at the sky and seeing these extremely loud, extremely fast machines pulling, you know, high G turns, I just thought, I want to do that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So I
0: know you spend, so, you know, you're part of the WhatsApp group and stuff like that, the personal learning network. But people out there probably don't know who who Spencer is. Yep. So I guess if possible could you give me a bit of a, a brief of your bio where you've come from to where you are now and how have you got there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess how far do you want me to go back or do you want me to just keep this kind of a, as a as a professional look back or do you want me to go back a little bit further or Yeah, I mean don't go back to when you were 10. Okay.
0: Um, but yeah, kind of go back to you know, what's kind of mm-hmm. got you into this creative sure.
1: atmosphere that you're in now? Okay, yeah, no problems at all. So, um, obviously, we mentioned there that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That didn't obviously quite um, happen. Uh, and so, um, up until I was going to be, or up until I was 19, I was going to be a professional footballer. I decided that um, that wasn't for me. And I had this belief that I could do anything that I turned my hand to. Um, We'll probably come on to that a little bit later How that was perhaps um, uh, (laughs) slightly over optimistic. Um, And so anyway, I stopped playing um, football and um, I went to university. I did a, uh, a creative course to start with, but I didn't quite get on with that. So I came out of that and I got a job in sales okay um in the telecoms industry so this was back in the day where any old company could set up and you could ring anybody's number and ask them if they needed an orange upgrade right we're talking <laughs> right back in the uh, when when phone deals were done perhaps not so mm, ethically shall we say um so we did that a little bit and I kind of carved my teeth or sharpened my teeth slightly in terms of sales um but it was all a little bit um shall we say mm, unstructured and uh, it was all a little bit hit and miss and I didn't kind of really like it too much and a friend of mine said why don't you go and um, you know get a job at one of the main telecoms companies so I got a job at Vodafone um, in fact that job came about quite unusually. I went for my first ever job interview and got asked to sell a pen and made a complete hash of it. But then um, later on, the chap ran me and said, oh, there's a job um, at Vodafone, perhaps you should go for that one. And so we did that. And um, I got the job and I worked in the retention department. So that was, you know, you want to quit your contract, so I ask you why you want to quit your contract, and then hopefully persuade you not to. Um, so I did that for four or five years in Stoke, uh, and uh, then kind of moved to another other sales departments. And then we were uh, moved into a lovely big new call center um, and um, and that was all well and good but again I was constantly asking and wondering what I what I'm actually doing with myself where do I actually want to go and I kind of almost lost that direction a little bit Um, and I guess we'll perhaps come on to more detail on that a bit later on so um, so um, so from that point there um, I then um, stayed in a sales role after getting a late degree in music technology which is a strange thing for me to have chosen because i would never picked up a musical instrument or tried to sing or do anything musical prior and um, did that uh, and then got a job for a software engineering company so this was very different kind of selling it was um, multi-stakeholder very complex um, uh, but it was very technical software engineering so that was for a company called Mobica a really cool company really great guys and I worked there for a number of years Uh, but I've obviously known Mobedia I know those two names are similar it's just a coincidence but I've known the guys here at Mobedia Johnny our founder and Gary our creative director the rest of the guys we're all best friends we've known each other since we were young boys messing around with you know early computers right uh, and so we've talked about working together for years and years and years um, but the timing was never quite right on my side or on the agency side but John said to me about three years ago you know uh, I want you to come and work for me uh, and so all of a sudden I find myself in the creative industry uh, and that's kind of how we got to or how I got to to, to where I am today so um, it was all extremely new to me um, all of a sudden I'm talking about The creative process behind producing great film and animation and the process behind creating video games and technical processes behind designing and developing mobile applications and quite often quite complex technical systems and things like this and so it was a lot to take in uh, and all this kind of cool stuff but um so that's kind of i guess where i or how i found myself working for mobedia and how i found myself working in learning and development or in organizational change or however you might want to you know call the area that we work in or specialize in so okay cool
0: so i guess not a lot of people probably know you know i know about mm-hmm. it but not probably yeah not a lot of people here will probably know about you and your barcelona store <laughs> so, yeah maybe maybe the listeners know about
1: right <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of drop that one on with us okay how do i make this safe for the uh, for broadcast okay so the Barcelona story sticks out to me because it is a story that happened in a professional sense. Um, so, um, working for the uh, um, one of the previous companies I've just mentioned there, we were on the way to what was the biggest pitch I'd ever done. And um, we were potentially going to do work for um, a Spanish company hence it's been in Barcelona. And we were pitching to about 10 of their, uh, their, their engineering heads. Um, there was me, a couple of my Polish colleagues, um, and in effect, my my manager at the time. And so, um, I said to my dad, "I said, Dad, right? I've got the biggest picture of my life. Um, you know, I go to Barcelona. It could potentially be huge. Um, and it, you know, we're talking a big big number on what the contract would have been. Real, the biggest one I would have ever got by a long shot. So I'm really excited." And so the old man treats me to a new suit, and so I think, right, oh, okay, fantastic. So I get my new suit and I get it on in the morning of flight, and I get on the plane and we fly to Barcelona. You know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? I've got my new suit on. I'm going to do the biggest pitch. I'm prepared. I'm feeling good. And um, me and my uh, my manager, we flew uh, we flew in, and we were due to pick up our two Polish colleagues who'd stayed the night prior, and from the New Camp Stadium. And we the we tacked at the, air, the the taxi that we booked at the airport didn't show. And we're thinking, looking at the watches, thinking, oh, man, we, we're going to be running short on time here. I'm already starting to get a bead of sweat, you know, <laughs> and this kind of stuff. So we just jumped in a taxi, any old taxi, just this yellow taxi. We jumped in it, and we go and pick our colleagues up. And um, just before we get to the new camp, we're in traffic. We're in a dual carriageway, and... <laughs> Got my new suit on. I've got my new jacket on, right? I was feeling pretty good about myself, but I'm really hot. I'm <laughs> sweating. There's no air conditioning in the taxi. It's the worst taxi you've ever got in. It's the oldest car you ever got in, right? Most of the oldest taxi in Barcelona. And so I think I'm gonna have to take this jacket off. And so I open the front seat, opened the open the, the door to step out, to take my jacket off, to jump back into the car. And I open the car door and a guy on a moped. Bam, straight into the door, oh, bent wow. the door right round, moped goes on its side, the guy skids down the road. You can imagine, I'm thinking, <laughs> obviously the first thing that springs to mind is, oh no, I've, I've hurt someone, uh, how do we deal with the situation? The taxi driver speaks no word of English, I speak no Spanish, and I've potentially just, you know, killed a guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully not, hopefully <laughs> I haven't even hurt him, right? So anyway, so I jumps out the taxi, I jumps out, the door was already open, it was stuck to the front wing at this point. And I run down the street and the guy's kind of um, a slightly older guy and he's kind of picking himself up and I help him up. And luckily he's not too badly injured and he's got a couple of grazes on his arms and stuff like this. And, and so I'm thinking, Oh crikey, this is, this is um this is a bad situation. here. I don't know what happens insurance wise and blah, 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 blah. And we kind of pick the guy up, we dust him off. We sit him back on his mopeds and we go round the corner out of the traffic and we um, the two, the taxi driver and the guy on the moped, they swap details. They're speaking in Spanish. They start speaking pretty furiously, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And at this point, um, <laughs> obviously now knowing that the guys both well, I start not dead and not injured, <laughs> I start to think about the pitch again, right? And already we were getting short on time, so I'm getting a little bit stressed. We haven't picked the colleagues up yet, and I think right, okay. And a taxi driver's getting pretty irate at me and i mean starts to get really irate i haven't got a clue what he's saying i assume it's something to do with insurance and i'm going look i just take my business card ring that number in a few days time we'll arrange it we'll sort it all out we'll sort it all out but look i've really got to get to this meeting and he's going and he's waving his arms okay look i've really got to get here it's you know i really got to get there and so we didn't we couldn't get in a new, another taxi and just run away. We couldn't, I'm thinking he's gonna ring his taxi friends, it's gonna be an altercation, yeah. you know, we're gonna have to start looking after ourselves here and you know, it's a nightmare. So anyway, I gets back in a taxi and I goes, look, we need to get to this location. And the guys kind of calmed down a little bit at this point. Just until I try and shut the door and the door doesn't shut because it's obviously been <laughs> bent round, and I'm slamming it like this with two hands. It's going bam, bam. And I'm slamming it and the guy has to get out of his driver's seat, walk around and kick the door shut. And so now I'm stuck in the front seat. My boss is in the back. We pick our two colleagues up and we say, right, how do we get to this place here expecting it to be 20 minutes away? It's like an hour and 15 minutes away. And you can imagine I'm in the front seat of this taxi on my way to the biggest pitch I've ever done with my colleagues, having almost killed a guy. Uh, and it's stressful and it's the most awkward taxi journey ever but because the taxi driver wants to kill me. It's quite obvious. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so anyway, he drops us off and again, he has to come round and lever the door open to let me out. And then he has to kick the door back shut again and I get my laptop bag out and we walk off. And by this point, my nice new suit was dripping wet with sweat where I wasn't feeling so great about myself anymore and I was highly stressed, and I mean highly stressed. Uh, And so I thought all was lost and I was stressed. But we went in and we did the pitch and I kind of took a couple of minutes to really refocus and a couple of deep breaths and forget what had just happened and really try and bring myself back to the moment. Um, uh, And we did the pitch and for some obscure reason, the pitch went really, really well. And we ended up winning the work, which is fantastic. And it was just a strange story of um, uh, a really high highly, high risk stressful situation and a high-risk situation, which somehow yeah. enabled me to focus in a moment and actually deliver what was probably one of the best pitches I think I'd ever done, So, and which one is the work, which was great. So um, it was a horrible journey, but a good pitch.
0: So I... <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the best stories. I've ever <laughs> so it's it's really interesting. You know, I wonder. Let's say we could go back time. Yeah. I wonder how how that would be if you didn't have that bump in that car. Yeah. Because you know, it could be an argument to say because that happened, you yeah. didn't have time to overanalyze how you was going and delivering. You didn't have that whole exactly. You, you had a stressful drive to the place. Yeah. Because you know that awkward moment with a taxi driver. Yeah. We didn't have time to really home in how you're going to live.
1: And you just you yeah. probably just delivered exactly how you are i think it was um i think i think you're totally right and i think that um in effect from the moment we walked out of the airport realized a taxi wasn't coming got in to, uh, barcelona's oldest taxi from that point it was all a blur yeah uh, and i had no time to consider what might happen if things go wrong i had no time to consider what happens if i fluff my words i had no time to consider do i remember you know, what I'm going to talk about on slide five. I had no time to consider any of those things, no time for doubt to set in, no time for me to ambush myself with negativity. Because I was forced into a scenario where I was in a fight or flight situation and I had to stand and fight, not in the literal sense, but in the sense that we had to, you know, we were in a scenario where we had to deal with the situation. And so perhaps that had a lot to do with my frame of mind. When I got to that meeting, you know, I was in a high, what my, maybe my, my mind and body thought was a high threat situation. And I was enabling me to really focus on that moment. Uh, and also I was kind of in this, um, you know, this standard fight state where nothing was going to beat me at that stage. I, I, you know, I was just there in the moment and, um, and I, I, I had to perform because everything was at stake now it, it wasn't but yeah. maybe my mind was it, there was no difference deep down in my mind and so so yeah so it, it, it just it always sticks out as one of the strangest scenarios that i've had in my professional career but also um probably one of the prouder ones because one i didn't kill the guy <laughs> until he won the work so you, you managed to keep that murder <laughs> off, off yeah, your TV. No, exactly
0: <laughs> exactly however one of the stories which you did tell me and you, you know it, you're probably not prepared for this one was <laughs> Are you a hero to some girl? In some girls' eyes, you are a hero, which, which <laughs> okay. involved a cabaret, if right?
1: <laughs> so this is um, a, this is probably a slightly more unusual story, and um, I wanted to make it clear that I'm not medically trained in any way, shape, <laughs> or form, right? Uh, and so that that, that <laughs> so let, let me explain. So anyway, right? I used to I used to live in a place called Trantum, big pub called the Trentum Hotel, and uh, they did. Super cheap carvery, and so I'd be in there every other day, and I quite like going in there on my own, have a carvery, consider the world around me, or whatever it might be, you know, do some thinking. Um, and so, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, in the middle of the week. I'm eating my carvery around the corner. The east like the little area where you get your carvery, you. but I'm kind of the only guy in this bar area, apart from some old chap right down at the other end of the bar. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm munching away, and uh, I hear a strange noise, and it's. I think I'm going crazy at this point. Um, And it kind of almost sounds like a baby crying, but there's no babies in there. And there's no strange... It's just bizarre. So I look up, I look around, and I think, okay, maybe nothing's happening. I carry on eating. And I hear it again. I look around, and the scene around me hasn't changed, so I dig back into my roast potatoes. And then um, it gets a little bit louder. And so I get up out of my chair, and I walk over to the bar. And I look over the bar no i can't see anything but i can still hear this sound so i start to back up to sit back down to carry on eating my car you, but curiosity in me just overcomes this right and so i look over the bar and i think it's someone's trapped in the glasses cupboard what what what's going on so i jump up onto the bar and lean on it with my hands and look over and The bar girl is on the floor and she's convulsing and she's kind of foaming at the mouth and she's obviously having a fit. And so I've never seen this happen. I'm like, whoa, crikey, you know? Um, And so I mobile out, ring 999 uh, and the emergency services and start talking through what's going on here. Now there's just me and the girl who's having the fit and on the other side of the bar and the bloke at the end of the bar who still hasn't really taken notice of what's going on. So I'm saying to him, I need your help. Can you come over here? She's having a fit. And he just, quite literally, just, it's not my problem and and does nothing (sighs) about it. So I run round to where the Calvary guys are and say, you need to go get the bar manager quickly. One of your staff's having a fit. Bar manager runs round. Now, again, I'm not medically trained. I, I don't know if I should be trying to restrain her or I should be trying to get her in recovery I I just don't know these things so I'm speaking to the emergency services they're guiding me through this they're asking me what her condition is what's actually happening what medication she might have in her pocket so I'm trying to look in her pockets if she's got any medication I can at least tell them the bar manager is completely um you know clueless at this point as to as to what should be happening um and so I end up speaking with the emergency services and um and then the ambulances. Comes, uh, you know, is, is on its way. So, um, the bar manager at this point, and the young girl is slowly started to calm down a little bit. There at this point, she's not convulsing as strongly, and she's she seems to be kind of coming back around So, the the bar lady says, "Can you go and make sure the ambulance comes to the right place?" So,
0: you're going to say, "Can you pour a pint?" No, no, you yeah, can imagine that <laughs> yeah, for myself.
1: Um, and so, I run outside. Um, obviously, with my car free in my hand, <laughs> and sit on the wall at the end of the pub car park, waiting for this ambulance to come along, and I eat the carvery on the pub wall. And as soon as I'm, I wave it in, and the, and, the, and the ambulance guys come in, and by that point she calmed down, and there was no issue, and she was okay. And it turns out that she was epileptic, and you know this was pro- quite a common occurrence. So she was she was never really, I guess, in any huge danger. Not the, to my knowledge at the yeah. time. Um, and so, um, uh, so this kind of was all all happening whilst I was eating this car free and kind of got my, the phone in between my ear and the, the thing like this I'm talking to the, the emergency to see what's going on. Um, uh, and so it was all all right in the end and the, and the bar manager thanked me and said, look, thanks very much for that. I I, I genuinely appreciate you, you you know, ringing the, the ambulance and, and and helping, you know, guard them in and talking through it. And by the way, you know, next time you come in, your, your car free is for free. So um uh, I guess I won that day, which was great. So wow, have <laughs> got a, a free car, Just a bit. What I'll do is, when, 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 when this is went I'll put a here. Just It was a bizarre day. It was a bizarre day. It always seems to happen when I'm eating as well. It's strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going for food with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, stay safe. Yeah. safe. <laughs> so
0: maybe just to, to, probably changing gears a little bit. No problem. But, I guess, I'm going to say some words to you. Okay. I, I want you to tell me what comes to mind when I say mm-hmm. these words. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Social media. Good. Digital learning. Can be better. Spencer Martin. Pretty sound. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. So go for it. Social media. Good. Yeah. Um, digital learning. Yeah. Could be better. Mm-hmm. Explain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think social media is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is because it's too obvious not to say that it's a bad thing I also think that it's terrible in a lot of ways and I think that it compounds a lot of issues that society has or that humanity has in general and um, it compounds this strange attitudes that people have an opinion and that opinions automatically as valid as um, a fact perhaps or um, you know that kind of stuff and um, and I think it's a bad thing in the respect that it drives such misinformation and validates um, misinformation and the spreading of it and the confirmation of it. And it validates and it compounds confirmation bias in, you know, in a negative sense. So those are all the typical things to say about it, which are bad, right? But the reason why I said it's good is because I'm an optimist really at heart. And uh, I see the way that it connects people together in fantastic ways. And, um, I mean to give you just an example of that. I mean, I was with a friend of mine who was really having um, a bad time, and it was to do with a complex relationship with um, family and stuff like that. And a lot of the uh, communications were being done, you know, via text, and there was no context, there's no tone, there's none of these things, and things were being misconstrued and stuff like that. And I said, "No, no, let's jump on a FaceTime with these guys together," and we did like a big FaceTime with these guys. And you know what? That, That seeing the amount of stress. And that person reduce because they could see the other people's faces and their, yeah. their body um you know their, their, their body language and they could hear the tone of voice and, and 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 that reconnected those people in a way that they hadn't been connected for for months prior to that and that, that that disconnection between those particular people had caused so much stress and so much anxiety and just seeing how technology and in that case social media and it was a particular messaging or video messaging platform had lowered that stress and anxiety and brought those people back together and from that point they had scheduled face times there's a bit of distance between them and it really um helped them uh, from an emotional point of view but from a family point of view and, and all this kind of stuff right so uh, having seen specific examples of how social media can be used for good uh, i will always automatically say that it's good although that it it, it, it there's a lot of things I hate about it so that's the first point right Okay. Um, and digital learning when I say that it it can be done better that's not automatically saying that I can do it better than other people or that no can I think the point that I make when it's when I say that it can be um, done better is the fact that it's been done badly previously right and I think that with digital learning prior is it's just been the case that um, you know we've taken learning ideals or we've taken not I say we I say everybody um, uh, theories and content that's been delivered or facilitated in a different way whether it be face-to-face or whether it be one-to-one or whether it be whatever and then it's just been converted into something that you click through online and that's not so engaging right that's not that brilliant for memory retention that doesn't get to know me or that doesn't do any of those things that are important if you really want to influence somebody Uh, and so that's what I mean when I say it can be done better digital learning digital tools are amazing and um, when we consider some more fundamental things before even considering what we can do with digital about how people interact and about how people behave and, 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 and the triggers that you know influence and motivate and things like that I think digital can be used to really exaggerate some of those things and, and drive great change.
0: Okay. Okay. The answer to the Spencer Martin one, yeah. we're going to find out in a long okay, way anyway. No, so, <laughs> random question. It's somebody yeah. is that are aim to be um, thought-provoking, mm-hmm. but also quick-fire. Okay. But if they're not quick-fire, don't worry. Okay. Because, you know, if you want to jump into any, jump into any. Okay. Cool. So, if I was to ask you to, if you had to give a book as a yeah. gift to three people, mm-hmm. what book would it be?
1: And why? Oh, that's a good that that's a great question. So to and do and do you want me to what who those people would be or just three random people, it's more about the book, right? It's more about the book. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So it would probably be a brief history of almost everything by Bill Bryson. Okay. And the reason for that is Bill Bryson's a great author and um not only does he take you on fantastic adventures, but he's also very very adept at talking about complex things quite simply, and uh, and so making it very accessible. Uh, and because he takes you take, on an adventure with it, it's entertaining, right? And I read that book, and in fact, I've listened to the audio book many times over. And the book is, I guess, well, the title of the book is, um, is a nod to um, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, right? A Brief History of Almost Everything. And what he does is he's gone on an adventure, a three or four year adventure where he's, Um, explored scientific endeavour and scientific understanding um, in physics, in biology, in chemistry, in all of the sciences Uh, and over this three or four year time frame he's gone and interviewed um, some of the most preeminent scientists in some of these fields and the insight and the knowledge and the things that they talk about uh, is just Super interesting, and it just gave me a new way to consider things and look at them. And really gave me a new respect for what human beings are potential. You know, our potential as human beings, when we think critically and we apply logic and reason, and and, and really the, the the amazing, um, the, the amazing power of the the, the human mind, and, and some of the amazing things that people have hypothesized, and then we've. Um, Uh, we've proven later because technology has caught up, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. The the brilliance of people, you know, when we talk about, you know, Einstein and gravitational waves, whatever it might be, I mean, that's not mentioned in the books, we only, you know, that was only proven a lot after the book was published, but in effect, the crux of it is, um, it gives you a view into scientific endeavour and it puts you on an adventure. And I always like talking about science and sharing my passion for science with people. And I guess that book is just a great way to do that. So that's why I would share that book.
0: Okay. So he has a podcast as well, do not he? Uh, it?
1: I actually haven't listened to the podcast. I'm yet. sure
0: he has a podcast. I've got Freakonomics in my head, but I'm not 100% sure. Maybe that's where I've heard that book. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've also read that book. It's cool, great. yeah. The other book I dip in and out of, mm-hmm. because it's quite a long audio book. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so let me ask you this question. Okay. So while we're on books, mm-hmm. and I make an assumption. Yeah. Okay. Is that the book, the one book, what changed your life? Or is it
1: another book what might have helped change your life or completely changed your mindset or who you are? Or Yeah, so okay, that's an interesting one. So it certainly, um, I'd say it certainly helped in that respect. I think actually probably um, A Brief History of Time is, is a book that I didn't understand it. And so that I would probably say, it frustrated me the fact that I couldn't understand it and that really drove curiosity in me because I was frustrated by the fact that I just didn't automatically understand it but I was fascinated by some of the concepts and things that Hawkins talks about right and um, particularly interested in, um, in, 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 uh, in, in physics and some of these concepts are just so mind-boggling um, but that book I'll probably say changed or really drove this curiosity in me. And now as I continue on this journey of on trying to understand the, the world around me, right? And we comes back to my logline, trying to understand the universe and everything in it, including myself. That book, I guess, drove a lot of that. Uh, and when I start to understand things now, which I can then refer back to in the book that I didn't understand at the time, and I was frustrated then, and I'm inspired yeah, now yeah. because I do get it, then actually, yeah, that's driven changing my life, absolutely.
0: Okay, cool. If i was to ask you to explain what you do Mm -hmm. to a (laughs) three-year-old how would you explain it
1: i talk far too much to people all day long about how to drive positive change within organizations okay through digital innovation cool
0: i like that (laughs) so we talk about 8 to 20 rules. so example being 20% 20% of my contacts, I dial 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. The other 80%, I dial 20% of the time. Yeah. Do you have any 80-20 any rules? what you apply? So like kind of what's the one thing you do mm-hmm. to get the biggest impact Yeah. in your day? It could be professional. You know, all these questions can be professional and personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take it however you like.
1: Yeah, sure. So in terms of kind of time management and how I split my focus, would you say, is the question we're based on? or
0: It, it can be based on anything. So mm-hmm. say, for instance, you know, maybe, maybe you... From a design point of view, yep. maybe you always apply this because it'll always bring you eight percent of results, and yep. then you build around that. And yeah, is, yep. is any any? It's kind of like a more of a hack, more mm-hmm. than anything.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. Okay, I get you. I think I get you. So, um, so for me, it's, I guess, I, I have to be. I have to work at quite a fast pace to be s- successful in what my role is here at Mobedia, so um, if we talk about it in a professional sense, so I, I I need to speak to as many people as I can, but they need to be the right people, and I need to have the right message. So being able to define the myriad of things that we're able to do here at Mobedia, and then distill them into something that's um, interesting, and Easily digestible and then figuring out who to tell those stories to and then actually Finding those people starting that conversation and kind of going from there um, That that can be quite a It has to be at a fast pace, but it has to be done with some intelligence, right? So I tend to kind of split time into what it comes down to audience growth audience interaction for me so I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn And so it's always a split between time spent cultivating that network and providing insight into that network and trying to antagonize conversation within that network. And then what my role actually says I should be doing, which is identifying and scoping and delivering projects. Right. Okay. So it's kind of a bit of a split. The two help each other, but it's not 80, 20. Some days it's 40, 60. Some days it's a hundred percent. I just want to, write content and do vlogs and put stuff out there. Or I might just spend all day trying to think of something interesting to say to somebody that I've been wanting to speak to, for a long time. It might not be to sell to them. It might be just because I really want to talk to them because I'm personally interested in doing so. So my days, every day is different. And more often than not, every conversation is different. The tricky bit is maintaining some level of consistency so that you're at some level of performance uh, that are enabling you to hit whatever target you put either on yourself or is expected of me from the business.
0: Okay, cool. So, we're probably just dipping a bit more into your personal life mm-hmm. as well, a little bit. So, what is there ever been a, a point in your life where something's happened to you what's been deemed a negative to you mm-hmm. in the moment, but then ended up being, I call it a double negative, yeah, but it ended up. Down the line, it's been probably one of the most positive experiences, or it's had a real positive effect. Mm-hmm. So I call it, you know, maybe a positive negative. Yeah. What's something what you took on board? We've gone. This is not really good right now. And then maybe a month later, a year later, five years later, I don't know. Yeah. You've gone. Actually, I'm really glad that happened to me.
1: Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. That's um. Yeah, it's a tricky question actually, I guess. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with the first thing that comes to mind. So I mentioned before when I was growing up, i was... Um, played at high level football, so I, was, I, I played a number of different clubs um, at academy level, and up to 18, 19. That's in effect what I was going to be. And but I, I, for the few years up leading up to that point, I really started to fall out of love with the game and i was really finding the motivation difficult and like i say up until that point i'd been told you you know you've been trained and you know you're going to be great at this you're going to do that and you know perhaps i had some false expectations in my mind uh some uh, uh, over optimism in terms of what life was about and what i who i was and what i was capable of and i whether it be football or anything at that point i believed i could just do whatever i wanted uh, and so i decided to stop playing football uh, and i said to my dad you know who'd put his heart and soul into making sure that i had the best possible chance of being the best possible chance of myself mm-hmm. uh, and i always thank my father for that I have, he's the best father in the world right and um but i totally broke his heart he was gutted he was absolutely gutted and that that uh, that 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 stuck with me because i could never really explain to him why i made that decision he just thought that i would I cast it off. I was lazy. I didn't want to do it. Or you know, he he could never understand that. But I, I was never able to express to him the guilt I felt for really, you know, the one guy, the one person who I wanted to impress more than anyone in the world, my hero, my father, right? And uh, to to really hurt him like that was a was a, was a was a big thing. So um, now, having gone through through that process, having uh, that sets um, kind of you know a, a lot of doubt in my mind, I guess, in terms of um you know was that the right thing to do or not but actually there was i I, I had this self-belief that um that yeah stick to your decision you know be proud of that you made that decision that's probably the hardest decision you've made in your life up until now and um and so yeah so take the positive in the fact that you were strong enough and stood up and made that decision for the best of yourself regardless of you know who you might have negatively affected or hurt at that moment in time so because from from that point on, the the I was kind of almost chasing my tail, chasing what the next high was. In fact, well, you know, if I was going to be a professional footballer, I should be a professional in anything I want to be. But life doesn't work like that. And so it was a real it was it was the, the years following that when you think, oh, you know, I, I could do anything, and then you realise you can't just do anything. The world doesn't work like that. Like I say, it's a bit of a realisation, and then you go through this kind of process of. Our oh, real self-reflection there, a real deep reflection in terms of, you know, it's not always a, a nice place to be that, and, um, but that, I think, going through that process gives you some level of pride in yourself that you made that decision in the first place, but some level of humility, right, that you're not always right, and you're not automatically the best at everything, you're not automatically going to be a professional whatever it might be, you're not automatically going to be this, that, and the other. Uh, and that that realization that came off the back of that decision i made at that time was probably i'd say the most important aspect uh, of me is having that humility and that ability to 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 say one you know that i might be wrong about something or i might be it might you know my opinion is an ever-changing thing it evolves with you know with whenever new new evidence is presented with me i don't, I don't i'm not i'm not you know not so um it's bullheaded to think that I'm always completely right, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think ha- that that having that humility off the back of making a decision, which I know hurt people. Uh, and, and then actually later on from that, I, I was so turned off football, I didn't play again for 10 years, right? Uh, and then a friend of mine um, asked me to go and play for his Sunday team. I said, oh, I said no to everyone up until now. I'm not going to start playing now, mate. You know, I'm 30 years old. And he kind of said, you know, well, you know, you're being a bit of a, a whatever, not playing. And I'm like, Oh, that just kind of like really niggled me. So I went and bought some <laughs> gloves and some boots and I played for his Sunday League team and I was terrible. I was absolutely hopeless. Um, but I really enjoyed it properly. I, I was like, well, okay. I, I loved that. And it really drove me to be as, I wanted to be as good as I used to be, right? Yeah. Um, and so I started training with the um, with the with uh, my, my old coach that I used to train with when I was playing at high level. He still ran senior sessions, right? And so we started training six months down the line. I stopped playing for a club on a Saturday. And before you know it, I'm playing at a half-decent standard again, and I'm absolutely loving it. And you know who came to watch every game and clapped me off at every, the end of every game was my dad, he's proud as punch. And he's, he always said that to me, that he's, you know, no matter what... And he's always ripped me for for stopping playing footy, but he's always said I'll, I've always been perhaps, you know... Mm-hmm proud so you know and that's that's just just great leadership you know what I mean so
0: well yeah I think you know there's a lot to be said when you've got to deliver let's say it, deliver a message yeah it's easy to deliver a message to somebody who you maybe you mm-hmm. work with you know yeah. there's challenges with that mm-hmm. but to do that to someone who you look up to yeah absolutely and to someone who who you hold in such such high regard yeah. it's you know no one's no one's better than your mum and dad right yeah, exactly. that's yeah, that's exactly. that's as high as it goes. Yeah but you picked up on an interesting point about your opinions. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you see, you know, well, you know, this is my my opinion right now. Yeah. And then people, a lot of people are, are fixing that, well, that's my opinion. And I've yeah. got to stay with that. No, no, your opinion's is allowed to change. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, one day I might hate this. And the mm-hmm. next day I might be like, you know what? Yeah. Actually, I was wrong. Yeah. I've changed my mind because of this, this, and this. Yeah. And I was wrong. I'll hold my hands up and this is now my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Your opinions aren't set in stone. Yeah. They're just your opinions at that time. Mm-hmm. So... Just going on to a bit of an opinion. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a bit of a nice, a nice um segment way in. Mm-hmm. What's the best best bit of bad advice you've ever heard?
1: The best bit of bad advice. Yeah. So and, okay. and it could
0: be something what you've heard recently. Yeah. It could be something what you've heard. It may be directly to you, it may be what you've overheard. Okay. Um, it could be something from like three years ago, I don't know. But
1: <laughs> well, the best bit of bad advice. Yeah. Um Hmm. You might put me on the spot a little bit on that one. So, good. <laughs> <laughs> bad advice. I'm trying to think of some. I mean, I've no doubt given plenty of bad advice in my time. <laughs> Hopefully, I've given at least just as much good advice. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So. maybe it's something what you see in the industry what you're yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'd probably say that. Where- Common areas of bad advice I ever see is when someone gives uh, makes a statement about something which is so absolute, it can't be true. So somebody says, do digital training, it's going to replace all face-to-face. Somebody says, oh, you've got to be doing games now because no one's ever going to sit in a classroom again. Someone says, people only ever learn on their mobile nowhere else. When, when opinions are so matter-of-fact and so polar in their nature, they can't be correct. Nothing is ever that black and white. There are two things I live my life by, 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 by. Nothing is black and white and everything's dynamic. There are always two models that I live my life by that I see all the time and that I observe all the time. The two things that have always stuck with me the most out of everything. If someone's able to make such a statement, so such a a statement, then I just don't believe that it can be correct. And so in our industry, you kind of see that all the time, I guess, a little bit. In learning, you see it all the time. In any in the creative industry, in any marketing this is the new thing, and this is the only thing you should be doing. Everything else before it is complete tosh, and you shouldn't be considering it. Well, if you're able to make that statement, I don't think either you understand the new thing or the old thing. You know that. Yeah. So I would say that whenever somebody gives that kind of advice, it's it's dangerous and incorrect in its nature because it's too absolute and too polar.
0: Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Yeah. I pride myself on living in a grey area. Yeah. Just because the grey area is the evolving area yeah. is probably the best way to to kind of the way I see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I I agree. You know, how yeah. can you make an assumption you you, you know, which again is gonna lead me to the next yeah. question. This is <laughs> really So if I said to you what is the future of learning?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'd say the and future again, this is your opinion. Okay. Opinion no hated. problems at all. Absolutely. Um so for me, the future of learning is where learning is less defined as something in itself, and by that I mean that um, the le- that learning will not be considered as, as a, a thing that you go and have to do and that you're forced to have to do. It's something more that you that you want to do and that you're in, inspired to do and that you're inspired to share. And so rather than having particular areas of the day that you learn, and you might read or see things where it's, you know, you've got to learn for 30 minutes a day and the best time to do it is at 4pm. Well, I don't believe in that. I think that if you're given the right attitude or you're encouraged to have the right attitude um, and you're encouraged to have the right open mind and also encourage that open-mindedness in other people, then that learning should happen from, in effect, the moment you wake up to, in effect, the moment you go to bed. And I think that um, in terms of the future of learning, um, organizations and systems and solutions and all this kind of stuff they're going to understand so much more about you as a human being not just about what films you like not just about what preferences you know what subjects you're interested to or you know what piece of compliance training haven't you done but on a far deeper level so a a a the behavioural level, at a kind of, and we talked, and people talk about it all the time, and, and there've been a couple of really good articles, which I guess we can share afterwards about digital body language, and you know, marketing and these other kind of areas that are really looking at the the crux of what makes somebody tick. That's going to be happening a lot more in learning, um, uh, I believe, and so making things make making learning and perhaps we don't use the term learning perhaps we call it I don't know empowerment or inspiration or whatever um, much more effective and much more personal I mean that's just one area that I think it's going to go into but the way that technology will help facilitate those kind of base ideals and immersive technology I talk about quite a lot and, and it's not I you know a golden bullet or it's not a you know it's not trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist which I see some people say for me innovation should not just be driven by necessity Uh, and it shouldn't we shouldn't just wait to identify a problem and then fix it with some innovation right we should be proactive with exploring what's possible with these new things especially when it comes to something as noble as the betterment of ourselves and everyone around us and our organizations but at a deeper level our society and us as human beings. And so immersive technology and these kind of cool things like that, I think, will play a big part in some of the previous things that I've mentioned there. Um, Obviously, there's the obvious answers like um, artificial intelligence and big data and all this kind of cool stuff. But I think really what they will do is just enable some of those things that I've talked about there. uh, Organisations and, and and systems and other things, understanding people on a far more personal, almost biological level. I know that sounds freaky, <laughs> but to enable them to, uh, you know, be the best versions of themselves.
0: Okay, cool. So just pull out a few things. So I, you know, I was talking to um, Laurie Hoffman mm-hmm. the other yep. day. Uh, yesterday it was actually. Mm-hmm. I was talking to her about um, digital biolanguage. language yep. And I, I kind of mentioned to her, you know, the way I see it is kind of digital breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah. You know, a person leaves a footprint behind them. Yeah. And it's understanding that person and tracking that person and understanding what they do. And I think, you know, the digital bundle of is just a bit like digital breadcrumbs. Yeah. We, we, we follow these breadcrumbs and we understand we get a better idea of a person and, yeah, definitely. and stuff.
1: But immersive. Tell,
0: mm-hmm. me, tell me, yeah, elaborate on that a bit more. Immersive technology. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so
0: experiences, whichever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a couple of, I guess, obvious areas for immersive technology. Um, perhaps high-risk safety training, perhaps technical training in um, high-expense type scenarios. For example, companies like Rolls-Royce and other companies are using these technologies because you know, if you break the fan blades on a jet engine, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. If you do it virtually, it costs you nothing mm-hmm. in effect. So there's those kinds of things. But there's fundamental reasons why immersive technologies um, should be on uh, the roadmap for organizations depending on what it is that they're actually training um, and as human beings right and you know with whatever your beliefs might be but mine are that we've uh, evolved from um, you know a common ancestor and, and, and that stuff and you know for the last 300,000 years we've evolved these social cognitions to tell stories, to do collaborate, to sit around the fire, to use our hands in 3D space and these kind of things right, so we have these perceptory systems proprioception and vestibular and all this kind of stuff and we could go deep with this but perhaps not for now Uh, and so the way that our brain creates memories and creates emotional connections to particular scenarios um, is increased when we incorporate more of those perceptory systems in any given Um, Living situation or any given situation right so if you're in a if you're if you're in three if you're in 3d space you're using your hands in 3d space your proprioceptive system uh, and and your vestibular system so you're moving around in a immersive scenario then um, testing and data and studies and biology state that you will form a more emotive connection to that experience and so form a stronger memory uh, because of that so that's not to say that it's an automatic golden bullet to fix, you know, some boring e learning over here, but those things should be considered if you, if what the person is remembering is really important. So, okay. And I think it can be used a lot, um, potentially for leadership and all kinds of stuff like that. So things where, where, where em- emotion and reputation and these kinds of things are extremely important. Empathy and these kinds of things, um, and emotional intelligence, though, though, those because of the nature of the technology and how it's able to evoke emotion, I think there's real value in it when exploring those areas of, of organisational um, development or or uh, learning and development, so okay. leadership development. So
0: when we're talking about most immersive, um, immersive experiences mm-hmm. or technology, what's what's
1: something what you've seen recently? What's kind of blown your mind? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's so one thing that I saw which. Well, there's a couple of th- there's, there's a few things that have really blown my mind one of them is our own project But perhaps I won't talk about that one <laughs> No shameless plug, right? No shameless plug. So there's a few when I talk about the emotional side of things it's, uh It's a Ted talk uh, uh, His name's Chris. I can't remember his name, but he talks about uh, virtual reality being in an, uh, an empathy machine and um What he does with that is he goes to a a refugee camp in Syria and he spends 30 days with um, a young refugee girl and with a 360 camera and he, in effect, lives her life for that period. Uh, And then he takes that um, content and he creates uh, a a virtual environment and puts it into the headsets and takes those headsets to, uh, I think it's Switzerland, to uh, a convention where there's A whole bunch of people that has the financial and political power to really change the lives of those people in that horrendous terrible scenario a refugee camp running for their lives you know that kind of thing and so if you were to show a video or if you were to give them it is is very lowest you give them a piece of paper with a paragraph describing that and they probably screw it up and throw it in the bin you show them perhaps a video there's there's a higher emotive connection you put them in a scenario where they're fully immersed in that young girl's environment and they're able to walk around with her in that environment, that connection is so much more on a human level because of the way that we've evolved, <laughs> right, that um, that they're able to feel her pain on such a higher level. The empathy that that, that, that system has created is so much higher. Uh, and so it actually led to... Uh, a number of funds being set up i believe and it led to um a whole host of amazing things that those people were able to do to get those people out of that situation because um he wanted to to give a message and for that message to be it was the plight of these people going through this horrendous situation and wanted to drive change because of it so it was done in such a way that did drive change and had a great impact because there was such a higher emotive connection to the message
0: so what? it? it's it, it's. I find that that's fascinating yeah. kind of walking in their shoes and stuff
1: like that yeah exactly
0: and have you ever read the book Ready Player One I haven't okay so I think it's coming out actually I think mm-hmm. it's coming out this week Um and they talk about we have this um environment called the Oasis yeah and it's an escapism people mm-hmm. put their t- on and put their gloves on and they mm-hmm. walk in this environment and they can meet people and they can buy things and you know, profit and stuff, it all yep. exists there. Mm-hmm. How far away yep. would you say we are from
1: that? <laughs> well, um, to be fair, I wouldn't say that far. Uh, the thing is with the... There's, so there's obviously barriers to entry with the technology because the technology is quite expensive, right? So as a consumer, you have to go and buy a big headset or a PC to run it or whatever it might be. That's changing now as processing power, you know, becomes much higher in smaller devices so you can have the processor in the headset and the cost of this technology is coming down all the time. Um, That means that it's more accessible, but it also means that at the very highest end of where this technology is being pushed, at the very kind of furthest research and development side of things, is it just opens up possibilities, right? Uh, uh, And so really kind of your imagination is the only thing that holds you back from from developing something, um, I I guess, like that. The, The thing is you've got to immerse somebody in it with your eyes and your ears and your hands. Now, you can do that whilst they're still sat in a chair, but you kind of still know that you're in, you know, but you've now got these other companies that are developing these amazing haptic technologies where you're kind of, it's strange to describe it, it's like a concave bowl and you put these special shoes on. And you're able to run so you run round so you can change direction you're on the spot but you can run so you're in this scenario and you're running forwards you can run backwards you crouch and it, and it and it's able to take this now you've got a suit on that's able to apply heat and vibration to any part of your body so it's able to supply some kind of stimulus to your body so again it's the same reason why same way as your playstation pad it vibrates when you get a heavy challenge on fifa and you kind of whoa, yeah, it's like that, but times a million, right? Or well, not times a million, whatever the number <laughs> is. I don't know. But, um, so it's like that. So we're getting to the point now where I'm not saying that Alan d should be going and considering buying these suits. So I'm talking blue sky here. So that yeah, just, just make yeah, sure yeah, that very very we we've we stepped yeah. outside <laughs> of, you know, Alan a little bit here, and we're just kind of talking about the technologies. And, but um, so so yeah. So I, I I wouldn't say that we were that far from it in as a, a concept, but in terms of the how it's portrayed in the film, obviously, is—I uh, mean, that's complete fantasy. But, but yeah, I wouldn't say we're too far. So, I think
0: for me, I think for me, the the joint is getting the people used to the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me personally, the limitations to VR right now is the fact that you've got to have this headset. Yeah. I think whoever figures out how to kind of do AR VR yeah. without having a big clunky headset, mm-hmm. and if you look at something like people say Google Glass was a massive failure, for yeah. me, I think it was a massive success. Yeah. Why? Well, one, it got the people used to having this technology, mm-hmm. embracing it as a another layer on top of yeah. reality. Um, and if you think of it from a really clever view, mm-hmm. it got people used to having Google Assistant. Yeah. You know, look, look now, look where yeah. we are now. We've got Google Assistant in our house. We've yeah. got Amazon Echo. We've got we've got all these. And it wouldn't surprise me now yeah. if you know Google re-released that Google Glass or yeah. Apple jumped on it or whoever jumped on it. Mm-hmm. I just think, while people look at Google Glass, you know, the, the yeah. Google Pixel the the earbuds. Yeah. Now it can translate. So yeah, it's cool. It? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's just like, Wow. Yeah, it's so cool. I think the, I think with the VR thing because the, the whole point in VR is that you're totally immersed. It's totally virtual. Yeah. Um And so obviously no one's going to be walking down the street with a with a VR headset on because you'd, you'd walk into lampposts and stuff like that. But um, that has a very different you u- use case and potential than say AR, which obviously is just an overlay of information onto the real world. Yeah. So. Uh, Microsoft have released those glasses or at least the, um, the the kind of prototype of those really cool glasses. They actually look like really fashionable glasses, to be fair. And with that, it's, it's direct retinal um, input. So you, you don't have the big square thing like the Google Glass. Yeah. Is. It's literally it's not like a goggle that you see on like a, an Apache Pilot's thing. It's literally firing the light directly into your retina. Is that that Magic Leap? Uh, no, so it's not that one. So, okay. so Magic, Leap something, Magic Leap is a go Magically, for real pioneers of this this technology, and some yeah. of the, some of their talks and the guy who runs that are really interesting. So I definitely implore people to go and read some, watch some of his stuff. But um, with the AR stuff, it's I, I the best way I can really describe it, or it's best is it kind of almost gives you that real time competence in something. And as long as the solution's done well enough, then me and you should have the potential to wear a pair of glasses each and look at something very complex. say, a, I don't know, a, a complex pump or a, a, an engine of some description. And um, the solution sees what we see and then tells us which screws to undo at any given time, which how tight to do them up, which parts to take off. And in effect, we should be able to take that thing apart and put it back together with no prior training whatsoever, just in real time. Yeah. So it's not so much... It's it's enabling this real time capability where you're not having to go through this really huge pre learning period or pre training period and having to memorize this stuff and then somehow consider how to embed it. It's kind of almost expediting some of or a lot of that, uh, especially in the technical side of things. uh, And putting um, you know headsets on and being able to see through the walls of particular things. A couple of friends doing great things um, in with. Um, super yachts and stuff like that and again it's really really cool because um, it enables the engineers who are on board to put the headset on it knows where you are on the boat because of location based stuff and things like this and you can just flick the walls away you want to see through the wall and see what's behind that panel you just flick it out the way yeah. and you can see what wires cables pull them in, whatever's behind them yeah. um, and, and it just saves time and makes that engineer more efficient at what they do. So when people say, "Oh, it's just a fad, it's just a craze, it's just you know something that's cool," I, I just I, I don't I, I don't understand that pessimism. Perhaps previously it has been, but there are loads of great use cases right now. VW are doing ten ten thousand people will be trained using augmented reality and stuff like that now. And these these companies, you know, these companies have have been at the forefront of, of innovation in a host of technology areas for hundred years some of them you know why, why would we doubt them now in terms of you know if they if they see good reason to use it yeah then why should why should we just still call it a trend or a fad
0: I think for me the way I, I summed it up is VR and AR so AR is your 4k television mm-hmm. VR is your 3d television mm-hmm. so AR is the real time the quick the yeah. you know it's there's less limitations mm-hmm. to it I don't yeah. need a headset I've yeah. got I can get you on my phone yeah um, VR is, is kind of an ex uh, not a better experience but it's a very kind of semi isolated experience yeah. right yeah. now and um, and I just think you know people talk about oh how can we make people learn Well you can yeah don't ask that question how yeah. can we make people learn you look at the AR VR is a great mm-hmm. resource right yeah. now you know if, if something was designed perfect mm-hmm. you should like you say you should be able to look at that engine yeah. And you don't need to learn. I can yeah. just make you do that job better. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's kind of where we talk about learning. Yeah. Do we need? Does it need to be the learning right now? No, 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 I've, definitely not.
1: It's, it's, it, it's. Organizations aren't ready. I, I don't think that. I'd probably say that there's, there's a number of areas which, and I talk about it as if it's, you know, the next ten years have already kind of almost happened with it. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, as I mentioned before, a huge optimist and a huge advocate of these technologies and. I've seen some really amazing things done with it and some, um, the potential for it is what I tend to see rather than the right now. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Perhaps it's a little bit too far ahead for a lot of companies or organizations to consider. I mean, I don't forget, you know, you speak to a lot of these big companies and they, 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 they they're just doing e-learning for example, yeah. or something. And so, yeah. you know, we can't expect the industry to be right up to where, we think in terms of the art of the possible with these technologies I don't think that there's a a, a huge amount of great examples of how it's being used at the moment because it's quite I guess immature I think the potential for it's massive but I'm not sitting here suggesting that everything should be virtual reality I'm not sitting here suggesting that things that how things are being done now is being automatically being done remember I've mentioned before that if you were ever to suggest that by nature you're probably incorrect right Uh, I, I can just see that it has great potential. I think the te- when the technology's matured a little bit, um, it's going to make things a lot easier. The barrier to entry with it, it will be reduced. Um, people's, uh, The people who are responsible for coming up with these learning uh, initiatives or creative initiatives or technical initiatives that are going to drive this technology forward, um, the more that they think of great use cases for it, you know, the more it's going to obviously push along and stuff like that, and I guess the people who are then going to produce the actual content. So, you know, the the people who are going to make these experiences. I mean, you see, oh, we're really pushing the boundaries. We've got a virtual reality solution, and it enables you to speak to somebody on the other side of the globe, and you just speak to an avatar. And I think, well, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, just do a FaceTime and see him yeah. in real life? Yeah, we, we don't. It doesn't. It seems that okay. Well, perhaps we need to. Do good do you know things with it like that that help us explore what is possible with it. But it just seems that I don't know, maybe maybe I've seen some examples where it's a bit short on short on imagination. I think um, from
0: an imagination point of view, you know, you look at these Black Mirror episodes, mm-hmm. they're great. I yeah, I, yeah. I love them. But, you know, we talk about kind of I think I was reading a couple of months ago about um AR being put into a contact lens mm-hmm. and we're wearing this con- You know, you you see in a very very watered down version right now with yep. snapchat yeah, glasses yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just think to myself sit back and go yeah it's great but how do you de- deploy to a, to a contact lens I think yep. that that's something where yeah the technology is there mm-hmm. but you know what, what you're expecting someone to come in and go where well, you've got to put this contact lens yeah. in and how do you deploy the resource of whatever yep. fix an engine to a contact lens I think yeah. it'll always be potentially that way it'll break down not necessarily the technologies to yeah. do it
1: yeah yeah But yeah, Black Mirror. Yeah, I know yeah, it's good. It's good stuff in it. It's got. I like Black Mirror. It's dark. I like like anything that's dark, really. But, um, but yeah, like I say, big advocate for the technology. I think it's definitely gonna. You see, you're gonna see a lot more of it. I'm not automatically saying that it's a golden bullet. Far from it. In fact, yeah, I'd say that probably a lot of the examples um, that uh, that are out there that you can see are probably driving some pessimism (laughs) for the technology. But I think with any innovation, you have that phase early days where, you know, people are finding great ways to to, to use it. And so not every idea is going to be great, but the potential for it is huge because, like I say, of of the way that it, you know, speaks to you on a a human level. It's humans on a technology on a human path, not humans on a technology path. We're not designed to crouch over a phone 24 hours a day
0: and at the end of the day it's a tool for your toolbox right mm-hmm. you yeah. know if, if if the only tool you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail and mm-hmm. i think it is it does come down to that yeah right tool for the right time mm-hmm. for the right thing yeah and i think you do see that a lot now it's like this the map high this yeah, is a brand exactly. new tool let me make everything that way
1: yeah no absolutely mate absolutely it's just a great it's, it, it, it's a great vehicle to deliver hopefully great content and experiences it and experiences and it does it on a far deeper level than other mediums prior to it so if you consider it just on those things then that's the point I'm making I'm not saying it's going to fix all of the problems in l and D. I'm not saying that it's going to be seen everywhere and all companies are going to use it I'm not saying that I'm just an optimist and I see huge potential in it and I think other people should too
0: cool okay so if I was to ask you you get to pick two hours you have to relive Every day, okay. okay, in your professional life, okay, <laughs> yeah. What and, and you know we're talking on a whole spectrum of what you do, okay. What two hours would it
1: be? Two hours, I'd have to relive every day. Yeah,
0: so it's like the two most enjoyable hours, <laughs> and you can't use lunches and breaks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, crikey, I have to say it's it's a difficult one to choose. I have a lot of great times working here with the guys at might be doing my friends and we do exciting things and you know and that's not to say that it doesn't come without its pressures i'd probably try and choose one of those hours that was something that was completely enjoyable and one of those hours that was completely stressful because with that balance i think you need that okay. i think you need that balance so um so i'd probably say um but <laughs> Perhaps one of the more okay. Well, so I, so I, one of the more enjoyable things that that worked early days when I first started working in mobility. And this isn't so long as well. You know, we're talking three years ago. And and I'm thinking to myself, right, okay. How do I go out and speak to people in the training and learning world? I don't know anything about this world, right. And thinking, okay, I'll speak to training companies, right. I'll see what they're doing. Let's give them a call. Let's see what they're doing. And so I got a list of 20 of the, the training companies I wanted to speak to, and I figured out who I might want to speak to at those companies and got lists of the senior teams and did all that kind of stuff, you know, the typical BDM, stalkering and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And I think, okay, well, how do I stand out? Or do I make something interesting? How do I do something a bit risky? And so I had um, a, um, a, one of my colleagues <sighs> working with me at the time, helping me with some of this stuff, and I asked her to draw a picture of their oper- this training company's operations director. So I got his picture off LinkedIn, blew it up, Printed it off, gave it to her, and said, "You've got 20 minutes. Draw a picture on I me in a felt tip on that big bit of paper there, A3." And she drew it. <laughs> it was actually quite good because she's <laughs> far more artistic than I thought she was going to be. And so I said, "Oh, you know, you have to scrap that. It's too good. Let's make it way worse. Give him bloodshot eyes. Don't make you. Let's make you know. Don't flatten the guy. Yeah. And we rolled it up and we put it in a box and I just sent it to him in a tube. And I thought, God, what am I doing here? <laughs> What am I doing? And about two weeks later, I rang them and I said, "Hi, is that such and such?" Uh, it wasn't. I'd rang somebody else at the office on purpose. Okay. Uh, is that such and such? Um, it's Spence from from Obidia, and he went, "Oh, you're the guy who sent such and such the uh, the picture, right?" And I went, "Yep." And he went, "He fucking hates your guts." <laughs> but because of that, we all love you and oh, so okay. i went right okay fair enough and so we described what we did and he described what they did and it just so happened that at the time they were looking to, to partner with digital consultancies and digital and innovation type agencies because they were really looking to, to to explore what they could um um you know compound their fantastic reputation within the vertical and the uh, you know w- w- that they that they worked in with um with what we did in digital so uh, we met them and they came to meet us and I'd the guy who had sent the picture wasn't at that meeting. to the other guys. But then we went and did a, a, a much deeper introduction, and um, it was also a joint pitch to uh, a, a, a big, a big bank at the time. So um, that that few hours, what creating or coming up with that idea to send that picture and it would being risky, that was maybe one hour that I would choose to relive again because that was fun, right? Yeah. And it was risky, and it might not have paid off. But if it didn't, who who cares? Do you know what I mean? I upset someone somewhere. Oh, oh, you know, they'll survive. It'll be okay. But do you know what? That risk paid off. Uh, and so I'd probably say that <laughs> the second hour, I would choose as um, us winning a sizable piece of work by partnering with that company. Um, and it turned out to be a really cool project. Uh, and so off the back of me offending this particular chap, we I stood out from the other people that we trying to you know reach out to yeah. them and we organized a meeting and they liked us and we liked them and then we pitched them on some great work together and we've been working together for, for since I've been at MoBedia so for three years we've done a host of great projects together as a company and they're now really good friends of ours and to this day the chap who I sent the picture to um, he still calls me the serial killer <laughs> 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 because he said it was that creepy but you know that's good. That's uh, good. Non-convention in conventional situations.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, quick brain Zoom. Okay. So if Mickey's a mouse, yep. Donald is a duck. Mm-hmm. What's Goofy?
1: <laughs> Goofy's a dog.
0: Is it? Because Pluto's a dog, right? <laughs> and Goofy has a hat on and, and drives a car.
1: Oh, that's a good. Goofy is a duck as well, is he not? Goofy, oh, I'm gone. Oh, crack it! has got
0: big teeth and like quite a long nose. I'll leave that one with you. Just <laughs> that one. Goofy. So, I guess right now, what are your three main resources? What you use? So, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's for your own development, or maybe it's tools what you're using right now. Mm-hmm. What? What are they?
1: Um, so, uh, LinkedIn I use a lot of because it enables me to nurture a network and um, learn from that network myself. And antagonize that network and when I say that I don't mean it in a negative connotation I mean to to um, be able to spark conversation and curiosity and um, get people talking amongst themselves and amongst the industry and for me to be involved in that and that helps me develop hopefully it inspires some curiosity in them and perhaps helps them develop too and helps everybody perhaps be more creative with coming up with cool solutions so LinkedIn's one of them and um, much Mm. to um, you know friends of mine's um, frustration is if I'm given the TV remote I'll just put lectures on and sit there and just watch lectures all day long physics lectures in particular or it might be stuff about neuroscience and things like that behaviour and things so um, so things like the Royal Institute Fermilab um, you know these kinds of organisations stuff that NASA do obviously all the time is really interesting Um, so yeah the Royal Institute is a particularly fascinating organization for me so that's another uh, resource I guess that I'd use because they just have great great speakers and stuff and then the third one is I suppose books okay Just normal books so so yeah um, they're probably the three things that I use the most okay but then again, I'm not a designer, so I don't do any of the designing. I'm yeah. not, you know, I don't use what I can use Photoshop to a degree, but you know, that's why we have a great team here to do that. Is I have to be able to talk about it and to 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 talk about how great the team are, but I don't do those things that they do so well.
0: Okay. So, what's the one bizarre? What? Well, yeah, one two bizarre is what you use to understand
1: L and D. People. Okay. Um. So. Uh so i spend as much of my time as i can interacting with people who work in the l d industry um uh, as mentioned to learn as much as i can from them perhaps give my own spin on things and share my own insight working on a myriad of projects for a myriad of companies and going into that open-minded and saying that you know ask me anything because i will ask you anything um and um, uh, and you know, perhaps we'll both learn something from that. So I kind of go into it, it with that attitude. So I'd say the main thing that I learned about L and D is the people in it itself. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, for me, understanding people in general is very uh, is very interesting. So like anthropology and behavior and you know all that kind of stuff, right? So other sources are just kind of the same source that I go to to try and understand science in general anyway off the back of that so understanding the fundamentals behind who people are what why we do the things we do sometimes such crazy crazy things why we, why do we have these bizarre behaviors as, as, as people and then understanding how we might be able to understand understanding how we might be able to draw parallels and you know draw and, and, and see those patterns and then apply those to you know Driving, changing people for, for the for the betterment of them, or or, or or us, or me, or whoever.
0: Okay, cool. So, who's the people who um, you keep an eye on at the moment? Maybe it's up and coming people. Maybe it's people who've been in the industry for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I use industry learning development, but maybe yep. you know you, you can use that to whatever you want. But who's the free people who you're keeping an eye on? do <laughs> it to them. a number, but yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I could give you. Um, I could I could name you hundreds of people that I, that I keep an eye on, that I'm inspired by, that I learn from on a daily basis. Uh, and that's the beauty of systems like LinkedIn is because it gives you that eagle-eyed view of what's going on within a particular industry or within a particular field uh, and enable you to draw patterns or to draw themes out and, and things like that. So um, I, I'll actually say yourself is one of those people, to be fair, Danny, uh, because right. you set up the, the network on, on, on WhatsApp and you opened up... Um, a, a a doorway to the industry for me, and and uh, and that has really helped me a lot in terms of my own development, my own understanding of the industry, and the in the, the, the themes that drive the industry, the trends that drive the industry, the challenges that L and D people face, the challenges that organisations face, um, in terms of inspiring their people and making them really kind of live in the moment and be the best versions of themselves, all that kind of holistic stuff. Um, so, so thanks for that. First thank of all, thank you, uh, and you credit where credit's due, of course. Um, other people that I like to follow and I'm, that I'm certainly interested in there's a chap called Jamie I've just been having a really good conversation with him and I'm really bad with names, so everybody please forgive good? me uh, that's right yeah absolutely so some of the stuff that we've been talking about recently on, on digital body language is really really cool I really like um, Laurie Cus, that you've spoken to recently and um, I love what she has to say and the way that she comes across and the way that she talks about it um, of course, everybody knows John. John Hinchcliff He's a big character and a great guy. And his enthusiasm and his energy is um, um, uh, it's it's almost addictive to to to, to talk to him about stuff like this. I, I I can't name enough of them. There's, there's so many, um, and there's you know there's there's so many just here in Manchester. A number of groups that are involved in where we're going to be doing talks and organising things like that. So I, I I couldn't. It would be unfair for me to to single out just a few. Yeah. There's there's too many.
0: So we've got, I've got Jamie on a podcast soon. Okay, cool. Um, and
1: John, yeah, I'm getting John on as well. Yeah, John would be cool, isn't it? Nick Shackleton Jones, of course, everyone's favourite, and um, I mean, I don't know, Nick Nick there's, there's loads. There's loads. Um, so yeah, there's um, there's a lot of people that are very, very intelligent and very clever. So cool.
0: Okay, so you know we're in a we're in an environment now where we get data overload. Mm-hmm. You know we're getting absolutely bombarded by data. And sometimes we don't even want to be, and we, yep. we, we are. And you know we talk about. I did it. I did a little video a couple, probably about a year ago now, mm-hmm. about digital detox and phubbing and kind yep. of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you? How well? I suppose it's it's a question with two parts. One, how do you manage your stress? Is there yep. any tips or tricks you give? Mm-hmm. And then two, how do you switch off? Yeah. I and mean, then for the third part, how do you regain focus when you find yourself losing focus?
1: Yes, good questions, fantastic questions. So, if we talk about the stress one for a second first, so actually a lot of the times um, I'll try and actually embrace stress. So we t- I, I touched a little bit before about having you know my ex- my life experiences up until this point have given me to have just this. <laughs> this attitude towards dealing with adversity or stress. And I guess everybody experiences those ups and downs in their life, right? And that's certainly not unique to me. So, um, that's not the, the, the point I'm making, but i kind of come to this time now in my life where you go, okay, well, you either, you either beaten be at this point, right? Or you stand and you, you do something about it. So for me, it depends on what that stress is, but more often than not, I, I won't be in denial of it. I'll try and embrace it. I'll try and really process and understand what it is and apply some level of pragmatism or objectivity to un, to, to get out of that stress. Um, uh, so I think if it's, for example, stress that's being caused by a commercial target, then it's about figuring out how to hit that commercial target. Um, If it's stress to do with some other area in my personal life, and again, it all depends on what it is. But for me, I think it's about not fearing the stress, but embracing it, not being nervous of it as such. But it's okay to feel stressed. It's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to to have these things happening to you. It's having the ability to step outside of that stress and be able to look at it from that perspective and understand why and understand how you get out of it. So uh, I, I, a lot of the times for me, it's being physical. I'm a physical guy. I've always trained, I play football, boxing, whatever it might be. And so physicality is a big stress relief for me. Going to the gym all the time, always in the gym, always training, all that kind of stuff. So if I feel physically capable, I kind of feel more capable in general, more able to deal with adversity, more able to deal with more at one body of mind. that kind of stuff. So dealing with stress is more often than not getting rid of any screen that I need to look at, <laughs> yeah. whether it be my phone or my laptop, and getting down to basics and um, doing exercise, okay. I think. Um, but I think, like I say, a lot of the times it comes down to your attitudes towards how you deal with it, being being more pragmatic and not, not feeling anxious because you're stressed or the other way around, but just understanding that those are... Quite natural things to be experiencing, and so that it's okay to experience them. It's um, it's what you do from that point, and it's your actions that define you. It's not how you feel about something that do so.
0: Okay. So how do you find it when when you're losing focus? so Let's just say you've Mm -hmm. got big projects on, and you know you constantly you constantly working on this project, and it is easy to kind of come off and lose focus. But how do you regain the focus?
1: So um, it's that's again it depends on on what i'm losing focus on if it's something that's really time sensitive and i don't have time to take a day away from it if it's something that's got to go out tomorrow or the day after or whenever and i just need to clear my mind from it i'll play ping pong with one of the guys in the office Uh, and the reason for that is you can have a really short game it takes less than five minutes and because you're you have to focus on ping pong to be able to play it proficiently. It's a difficult game to play. Um, it brings in a whole host of things. You have to have good hand-eye coordination and you have to be able to control and apply the right amount of force to the ball in any given scenario. So you can't just start thrashing it. You can't let your frustration get the better of you. And so going into that outside of that thing that's causing you the stress, and going into a scenario where you have to consider all the things I've just mentioned there for five quick minutes, and you're bringing in um, you know, your, 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 your proprioceptive system in such a way that it's unpredictable, and that's the important part. You cannot predict you know, mainly where that ball is going to go perfectly. So you're having to constantly scan the location of that ball and move your hand in 3D space and move your body to be able to do that. Now, by do, by going through that process, you focus your mind. And even if it's just for five minutes you go back and you sit back at your desk and if there's some kind of competitive element that you've included in that like you put a fire on the table with your mate or something like that which you have to do and we've got a league on the whiteboard and I'll show you that shortly and it gets very competitive but usually you sit back at your desk and you just have a level of focus which normally enables you to get past that blocker or to get to get to get refocused again so a short short burst of something that's physically quite physically and mentally quite testing uh, and quite tricky to master um, in a competitive uh, scenario is a good way to refocus I believe it,
0: it, and it's a great shout, like you mentioned ping-pong as well yeah. the reason why I say this is because a lot of my wackiest ideas mm-hmm. come from playing ping-pong yeah the reason why that is is because I don't have to think about being creative yeah, exactly so I can switch off that and yeah then the muscle kicks in exactly and it was um, it was my mentor when I very first started out in L&D, who kind of said, let's go play ping pong. Yeah. And it, because I was trying to think of this, how can I do this? And I got to a point where I was overloaded myself with yeah. getting ideas. That I couldn't <laughs> kind of see the wood for the trees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, then this is why the bugbear is, is when you hear people talking about, oh, just put a ping pong table in there, you know, yeah. and like, actually there's more to that ping pong table. Yeah, than exactly. And you just,
1: trained. yeah, it's, 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 a. Uh, it, I I never foresaw that it would have that difference in the office. I, it's genuinely had a positive impact on our office. It, we have a studio here in Manchester. We have 20 to 25 um, people working here all the time. And more often than not, we are having to think creatively or we're having to think about technical or innovative ways to get around a problem. And more often than not, um, we do that collaboratively, of course. And more often than not, you get to a point where you have some kind of blocker and you have to think and get around it. And if you're really, really trying to hammer a square block through a round hole, you're never going to get a square block through the round hole. Put the hammer down. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Go to the ping pong table, play ping pong. Yeah, you know what I mean. Have a short game. Yeah. You're not thinking about the hammer, or the block, or not. the square hole, or the round hole, or the triangular hole. You're thinking about getting that ball back over the net with just the right amount of spin to put your mate out of action yeah. and win that fight. You know, I'm not encouraging <laughs> people to bet on sport, but you know, and that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. And whether you win or you lose, it doesn't matter because it's a friendly game. But you sit back down, and all of a sudden you see it slightly differently. You see something that you maybe didn't see before. You see a, a way around or some bridge over some river, which is the problem, whatever analogy you want to use, that maybe you didn't before. Uh, and I've seen it happen and experienced it happen myself a number of times. This is not just something which I, it is assumption. I, it is something that I could give you a number of scenarios where it's happened. I could have you sit in the office with us and watch and show you how a quick game of ping pong helps people problem solve. It's... It's it's I could come, you, I could prove it to you. It's testable and repeatable. Yeah, so it's,
0: it's great. It's yeah. um so you know we've heard you mention Mobidia, but mm-hmm. tell me about it. Tell me okay. tell me what we do. What what I say they yeah because I use it as a business they mm-hmm. okay. But tell me tell me all about that kind of what what,
1: what yeah. do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much. So um so Mobidia is a digital innovation agency. Uh, and so people say, well, what on earth does that mean? Well, at its highest level, we make. Contents and products and experiences. And people say, okay, well, you know, what does that actually mean? And and, and do you have any specialisms? So we exist to drive meaningful change in organisations and how they connect with people. Now, you notice I didn't say their people, Um, people in general, really, because we not only do we work with L&D and organisational change and internal functions, and um, we apply non-conventional thinking to conventional scenarios and helping them connect with those people and engage them. Uh, but we still also have foot kind of doing outward comms and, and marketing type stuff. So it really comes down to understanding people and then applying ways to either, to, to apply some call to action or influence the their, their way that they think about something or get them to buy a product or whatever it might be in. So that's what Mobedia does. So that we, we're made with about 30 people. We have a fantastic film and animation team. We do 3D graphics and we make um serious games and fun games. That's where we kind of come from. We love messing around with games, which is great. We have a fantastic technical team who are responsible for building, um, you know, quite often very complex solutions to our creative guys creative ideas when it comes to engaging people or creating the best onboarding experience or how do we embed this new behavioral change piece we're doing or whatever it might be so um, we have a great technical team and a design team uh, and, and so yeah so we're creative and technical and we apply that to helping organizations you know step into some of these newer ways of thinking about engaging people and getting the best from them and imploring great cultures in these organizations. Cool. Um, you know,
0: so I mean, you know, I appreciate business is mm-hmm. business and some of the stuff will be indeed, and you won't yeah. be able to talk about. But is there an example of kind of some of the good stuff what maybe they've done? Yeah, actually, Share maybe,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, so I'll start perhaps. At, at, I'll, I'll start. Maybe, I mean, there's a spectrum that we work across. So some of the stuff is quite conventional. So that's the uh, when I say conventional, I mean not because it's mediocre work. I mean it's conventional in the sense that it's kind of we we um, we commissioned to create um, digital learning, sales training, that kind of stuff for uh, um, for for Kia. They wouldn't mind us saying that, of course. Uh, and it's quite a, a, a funny story actually. So we there's a there's a there's a survey. Um, it's the NFD. Some it's it's quite a long. Ago boring name for a survey, but in effect, the uh, OEM vehicle manufacturers are asked a certain or the dealership staff are asked certain questions about, you know, how well does your company provide you training? How well do they do this? And there's a whole host of questions. It's not just about training. But we took this all of KIA's dealership staff do our sales training content, customer care stuff. Uh, and all that stuff right yeah so film animation and interactive stuff we've done learning games for them and stuff and we took Kia from at like number seven to number one so they're rated highest for the quality of their digital training in the UK now out of all of the other car manufacturers which is great and um, we do their new vehicle launch stuff so I can't mention the names of the actual vehicles but every time they launch a new vehicle they'll usually do some really cool events and face-to-face stuff uh, and then we'll do all of the interactive 3D we we're exploring tech, really cool web technologies, WebGL and all this kind of really cool 3D stuff. Um, and so we'll launch those vehicles. Now the last three um, new vehicle launch modules we did, each one of them has beat the previous one's uh, MPS score. They use MPS to measure the sentiment of the learning, right, from that by the learners. And so... Uh, we've beaten our, we've beaten their top score, and we've beaten our own top score for the last three times running. So it just gets better and better. So that's kind of some of the more conventional type learning stuff that we do, but it's very effective. And then over on the other side of that, we do really cool stuff with augmented reality and adventure and play, right, and stuff like this. And uh, and so really cool projects that we've done um, in, uh, in in a host of industries, retail or whatever it might be, in terms of how do we create the best onboarding experience and okay well who are you onboarding what and you know what's the message and who are you as a brand? you go through all this big analysis with them and uh, and then you think of clever ways to use for example uh, an onboarding buddy application that we did which brings in location based contextual micro learning stuff video and things like that but also really cool 3d augmented reality stuff and it's it's I can say, it's it, it's just a great way to get people engaged with the brand from even before the first day so after interview except you know you download the app and it, it unlocks cool content that's personal to you on your first day you turn up and all of a sudden uh, you get new missions and rather than going pulled into a classroom and being lectured to and then getting taken around on a kind of awkward tour of the building you're just everybody's given a different mission to go and carry out you've got to go over to that department and all that. this piece of you know and the app knows where you are in the headquarters and you hold the phone up and you get Content come out in three D and stuff like that, and so it brings in ideas of adventure and uh, uh, and, and you know and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, we're doing some cool stuff in um, with um, this has a perception stuff actually, which is not just V R and A R stuff, but actually it's using three um, um, D browser based stuff. It's to enable um, a, a company. Uh, a big fleet management company in the U.S. I can't say who they are, but it's for over a thou- uh, over a million drivers. And it's like the hazard perception test that you did when you're doing your driving test where you just click on the DVD and it gives you a score or whatever. But this is a lot more immersive. And we've been out to America to film all of these scenarios and all this cool stuff. So that's... Um, at, at, its, at its base level is to save lives, right? If, you, if yeah. somebody is able to... is better equipped to spot hazards and you save lives. But also the... The, the, the monetary, the amount of money that they, they will potentially save, and um, we've done all the the research into this in terms of uh, reduced insurance costs and reduced costs in terms of fender benders and small small accidents is 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 huge. But obviously, that it's most important is you literally saving people's lives with it. So so that's really cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, there's loads of cool stuff. So it's on a spectrum, kind of the more conventional digital training stuff right up to really forward thinking. Immersive things and uh stuff like that. So Awesome.
0: So, at this, and you know, just waiting over time now, we're mm-hmm. kind of wrapping up. Like What's at the beginning of the day, the call I said to, I said call when eating, yeah. i meeting. Yeah, I do it. But we're in, you picked some numbers. You had yep. 10, 19, 85, and 100. Yeah. Okay, so these numbers mm-hmm. tally up to some random objects. Okay. Okay, you're on a desert island and mm-hmm. you have these objects. Yeah. Okay, you have a glow
1: stick. Okay.
0: A rubber band. Mhm. You've got a puddle of water. I can go to
1: this. Yeah. Go <laughs> on, mate. So I've got uh, yeah, i I've, so I've got a glow stick, a yeah. rubber band.
0: Yeah, a puddle of water.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And a game Twister.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: What do you do with it?
1: Okay. So uh, okay. So we've got a glow stick, a rubber band, a puddle of water, and Twister. And this is, is this. I've got a certain amount of each of those. Does that something to do with the numbers or have they just... Yeah, no, it? you've just got one of each. One of each, okay. And I'm on a desert island. Yeah. Puddle of water, rubber band, twister. Don't forget the glow stick. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> the glow stick as well. Okay, so I'm, 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 I'm quite tempted to say something along the lines of if I'd, take, you know, I'd use the twister and I'd use the mat from twister to create a a way of condensating um, moisture or vapor from the air into drinking water so at night you're going to have a lot of moisture in the air when the temperature drops but that's going to be it it will be fresh uh, so it won't be salty and then you condensate it against the surface of the twister mat and have it drip down into some kind of receptacle obviously I haven't got a bottle there but I guess you could you could probably make something again off of just ripping off a bit of the twister mat. I don't know. The glow stick. Um, <laughs> I'd use just in case, uh, you know, a helicopter went by or a boat went by and I'd just okay. need to snap it and try and stand out in the dark or something like that. And the rubber mat, the rubber band, uh, I'd use to tie my stupid, long, daft haircut back to stop it from going in my eyes. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, the puddle of water, I'd splash around in like a toddler because why the hell not? awesome awesome so <laughs> is, there a, is there a particular answer I should have given for any of those? nope <laughs> is it a right or wrong answer okay. so
0: that's the best thing so if I asked you right at the start said, mm-hmm. you know what is it you wanted to be when you grow up and you yeah. asked that question as young and as you know we never stop growing ever, yeah. ever 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 yeah. and that whole perception of oh well that's it you've reached adult age now that's it yeah so if I was to ask you this question mm-hmm. to the spencer now what is it you want to be when you grow up mm-hmm. what would your answer be
1: <laughs> <laughs> um It would be a, (laughs) oh, it's a good one because I'm so super tempted to say an aeronautics engineer, but (laughs) Um, do you know what, what I want to be when I grow up is to be, uh, is to have the resource uh, available to be a, a, a pilot, to get my pilot's license and to have the resource available to me so that I don't have to necessarily work, I can concentrate on the things that really get me out of bed in the morning, which are the things I mentioned in a logline, really understanding the universe. So hopefully by the time I'm older, I'm successful enough to have the financial and time resource available to do the things that I really want to do, which is fly and understand.
0: Awesome. So especially where can people find out about you and a bit about Mobedia Yes, Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, we're going through a bit of a site revamp at the moment, but obviously everyone's welcome to the website. It's www.wearmobedia.com dot um, com so it's Mobedia M O B for Bravo E D I A. Uh, and I always have to get that in there because people often mishear me on the phone. Um, or just type Spencer Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, into LinkedIn. And I'm the guy with the VR headset on with the black and white picture. And I work for Mobedia. So you should be easily I should be easily found. Um, I do have a Twitter handle and stuff. I'm never on there, so there's no point in messaging me on there. But yeah, drop me a message. We can talk about planes and science and All kinds of nerdy stuff. It's cool.
0: Awesome, Spencer. Well, it's been an absolute
1: pleasure. Let me promise you the pleasure's all mine.
0: Cheers, Spencer. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.